This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm Dr. Kat. In this episode, we are going to be talking with Dr. Katherine Berndorf, who is a co-founder and medical director of the Motherhood Center in New York City. It is the first of its kind treatment center for pregnant and new moms who are experiencing anxiety and depression. What I really love about what we're getting into today is having a new look at the model of care and how we're really taking care of moms and families and very specifically offering supportive services that are outside of just your normal outpatient one-on-one therapy and outside of hospital, which is what we kind of consider, you know, these are like the two sides of the coin in terms of what we generally have to offer for moms now. And there's not that many programs and treatment centers that are holistic and offering really sustained longer term or more intensive care. And that is what the Motherhood Center is doing. We're going to hear a little bit about what the Motherhood Center does that's unique and how Dr. Berndorf is really changing the face of perinatal mental health care in a really important way. And we're also going to hear a little bit more about the work that Dr. Berndorf does, including being on the board of PSI and some really great programs that she's helped to launch there. Dr. Berndorf is the founding director of the Payne Whitney Women's Program at New York Presbyterian Hospital. Whale Cornell Medical Center, where she is an associate professor of psychiatry and obstetrics and gynecology. Dr. Berndorf is a board member of Postpartum Support International, a nonprofit organization for awareness, prevention, and treatment of mental health issues related to childbearing worldwide. For 10 years, Dr. Berndorf was a regular mental health columnist for Self Magazine and has appeared on numerous television programs, including The Today Show, Good Morning America, MSNBC, CBS Evening News, and CNN. Her first book, The Nine Rooms of Happiness, co-authored with Lucy Danziger, was a New York Times bestseller, published in 2010. She is the author, with Alexander Sachs, of What No One Tells You, A Guide to Your Emotions from Pregnancy to Motherhood, to be published by Simon & Schuster this April 2019. I think it's really important to be having these types of conversations about thinking of maternal care and perinatal mental health care 
outside of the box that we've normally done and really expanding and deepening the care that we're providing. So I'm happy to be able to kind of give you guys this information, not only therapists who yourself who are thinking, I know there are several people out there who are really wanting expanded care and for services to look different. And this is a really great model to follow as well as, you know, the moms and families that are out there. If you're looking for care and you're really not sure what's available to you, this is one type of option. Again, there are not that many programs like this around, but I think the more we know what's possible and the more outside of the box we're thinking, the more we can advocate for and the more we can think about as not only mental health care providers, but also advocates and consumers, um, people who are needing services, we can start advocating for what we need and building it where it isn't. So I'm excited to bring you this conversation with Dr. Katherine Berndorf. Welcome, Dr. Berndorf. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to hear about all of the work that you're doing and be able to to share this with the listeners because I think it's such a cool model of care. So why don't you, though, just start with the work that you do? Just give us a little background. Great. Probably easiest if I start by telling you what I do and how I think of myself in the kind of medical and mental health space. And that's as a reproductive psychiatrist. So that's kind of a term that a lot of people are like, what is that? And I I always say it's because I couldn't decide in med school if I wanted to be an OBGYN or a psychiatrist. (laughs) So I kind of do everything at the interface between the two specialties. But I am a psychiatrist and I ask questions and I listen and I do a lot of therapy and medication management and all kinds of things from the psychiatry side. But it is really dealing with women's issues all along the reproductive spectrum. So menses to menopause. So PMS, PMDD, mm-hmm. different gynecologic issues, then the perinatal stuff before, during, and after pregnancy, trying to conceive, pregnancy loss, and then all the way up to perimenopause. And that's the kind of reproductive spectrum. And again, so I do the psychiatric work during that time frame, if that, hope that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It does. That is awesome. And thank you for giving us that explanation. I don't know how to replicate you, but maybe you can tell us how more people can do what you do because it's so, so, so needed. So as a reproductive psychiatrist, you're really supporting women who are having great difficulties or anywhere, I guess, from mild to severe symptoms related to this reproductive period of time. Yes, exactly. And to your point, there aren't a ton of us out there. So I understand the question and largely because I couldn't find a very straightforward education in synthesizing or integrating psychiatry and OBGYN. It was really just a very nascent field when I started doing this in the 90s. There weren't that many people out there doing this, maybe the late 80s, early 90s, things got going. So I had to seek out my education in this and beg people for time and could I sit in and do you have patients who have struggled with postpartum depression and OBs would say, what? No, we don't see that. I mean, it was really kind of unbelievable, right? Mm -hmm. And then I went to people around the country who were doing it, you know, some of the leaders and the founders kind of in the field and learned whatever I could and then ultimately ended up creating a training program at Cornell where I had been a resident so that I could teach what I couldn't find to learn. Right? Oh, wow. I hope that makes sense, right? So in the residency program at Cornell starting in 2002, created a six-month curriculum that was really kind of 
teaching the subspecialty of reproductive psychiatry for advanced residents. And so it was really exciting to be able to do because I felt like this is how we're going to train more people to do it. Mm -hmm. And we'll get people out in the world who can do these kinds of things. So to your point, I mean, that's, I think, how we begin to populate the field. And others in the field have done this too, but that's how we got to do it. We got to train people up and get them out there to do it, to do this work. Yeah. I'm curious uh, how people find you or find this specialty, because just like you were saying with OBs, maybe there are more OBs now that realize that postpartum depression and whatnot exist. But even talking to psychiatrists about it, yeah. are you having to convince people to come join the field? Or are you finding that there are a lot of people who want to specialize in this? Yes. And I think both things are true that you're asking. So I still have to convince some people that it is even a subspecialty worthy of being in existence. So there are plenty of people who think like, what do you need women's health specialty like this for? We have this or it's taken care of within child psychiatry or it's not fully accepted within the greater realm of psychiatry. But there is a movement afoot that's been going on for a while and it's gaining steam and acceptance in a number of ways. And I would say that it takes less convincing these days. And more importantly, people find me or those of us who are interested in this because they're passionate. So we really get the passionate people, right? So it's when I first started, I remember having to sort of like beg these first two residents and say like, don't you guys want to learn about this? And they're like, yeah, I guess. Uh Sounds interesting. Well, you Mm -hmm. seem okay. Like, okay. (laughs) And then it kind of took off and then it became a very, an elective, a sought after elective for the Mm -hmm. residents to want to do. So that was great. But again, oh my gosh, I could go in so many directions here in terms of how society views women and what we think about women's health and how we don't study it and it's not part of research. And because of reproductive capacity in large part, and it's hard to do well to have these, you know, randomized, you know, controlled trials, it's hard to do. And we really get sidelined in many ways. Mm -hmm. And that sort of spreads out over the whole, you know, discipline of medicine. So, you know, I'm off on a tangent here, but it's all part of it. So who does it now? It's like there are people who are interested. They come from all different avenues or come from different areas of expertise, but they all kind of come together in women's mental health. And it makes it such a rich, multidisciplinary specialty with lots of different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And I'd say the key ingredient that everyone sort of has in it is passion for this particular population. Yeah, I would agree with you from what I've seen. I haven't found anyone who's in this specialty that's kind of like ho-hum about it. Uh, You know, people who are here are all in. They're all in, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really fun to be in it. And the people who are in it are just diehard. They're in it and they want to change things up. Right. And you're a big part of making things change. I mean, you do a lot of stuff to that end. Well, I didn't know I was like this. I mean, I, you know, I always think of myself as, you know, minding my own business. I love to chat. I'm a connector type and mm-hmm. I like to collaborate. But I look back at my career trajectory and I see I start things. I guess when I find that there isn't something, I'm willing to go after anything mm-hmm. that I think is important and that I want to get done. And that I push. I'm kindly <laughs> persistent. I right. will not give up. And then sometimes you just have to make it yourself because if it's not out there, you Mm -hmm. just kind of have to put it together yourself and get people on board. And, you know, I definitely would say someone tells me you can't do it or I don't think that's going to work. That kind of lights my fire. And so, but you can relate. Uh, Just a little. Um, (laughs) Just a little. Yeah. So, yeah. 
And it's really, I guess, over time, really, I would never have called myself an entrepreneur. But having started this most recent, what is a business? I wouldn't have imagined I'd be here, although like, am I dumb? I mean, I look back on my trajectory and I'm like, (laughs) that makes sense. But sometimes you have to look back and see that that's where you are headed because I've always been in academics and doing entrepreneurial type things. But when you're in academics, you don't think of it as business. You don't think of it as, you know, you just don't use words like I'm now using in this kind of startup space. Oh, for sure. Yeah. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. So one of the big things I think you're talking about is the motherhood center that you've started. And I want to get to that in just a moment. But I want to also listeners hear, and I want to hear a little bit more about the other things that you're involved in, all of the work that you're doing. Okay. Well, part of it is (laughs) related to you and PSI. So like you, I sit on the board of Postpartum Support International. I've been a member of this, like kind of the original grassroots advocacy group, like education, training, advocacy, started in the late 80s, well, actually mid 80s, I think. Oh my gosh, Jane Honickman started it. And then there were some other groups and they kind of like, there's always a little bit of politics in there. But this PSI has really turned out to be the leading advocacy and educational group for families, women, fathers, children, families who are 
struggling with right postpartum issues and also perinatal issues, not just mm-hmm. postpartum. So I won't go on and on about that because you probably will be talking to people from PSI, but a big chunk of my time has been devoted to working with this organization. And what I was very interested, I'd been on the board like in 2006 and I came back on again more recently, 10 years later, 2016, because I wanted to help start the consultation service, this national consultation service. So Mm -hmm. another thing that I've been very passionate about is how do you get the word out? So we've, I'm in New York City, lots of people I mean, relatively speaking, do reproductive psychiatry. And even here, people can't find me or us or those of us who do this. Mm-hmm. And they'll go see their OBs, they'll go see their psychiatrist or whomever, and they'll say, you have to go off your meds in pregnancy. Let's just use that as the easy primary example. Sure. Or they'll say, oh, stay on, it's fine, no big deal. Mm-hmm. So even in New York, where there are a lot of us doing this, we're still hard to find or even to know about us is not commonplace. Mm-hmm. So you can only imagine if it's not New York City, like what's happening in the rest of the world or the rest of the right. U.S. And so we've created this national consultation line where essentially those of us who are expert in the field are offering free services to those anywhere in the country in almost all 50 states. This was a, an issue legally we had to make sure was kosher, mm. but we offer services so people can call in OBGYNs, pediatricians, other medical providers can call in and say, hey, I've got this woman. I don't know what to do with her or she's on this. Can you help me think about that? And so we're trying to really create this service for anybody and everyone who finds himself in a bind and doesn't have a mentor or a training program or someone around them knowledgeable in the field. That's really why I came back on the board a couple of years ago. But there's a lot of great work happening on PSI, as you well know. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this consult line is a pretty big deal that yeah. this is a free service available to other providers, medication providers, MDs, nurse practitioners, anyone who prescribes can call yep. and get a consultation. That's and, yep. and it's free. And it's so, free. That's and amazing. We're, you know, it's a little scary. Like it's been advertised, but I don't think we put it out there that much yet. Mm-hmm. We're working towards that because I sort of think like once it takes hold, you know, we could get very flooded, but you know what, yeah. we'll figure it out. And there are <laughs> other places. Look, Massachusetts has done some great stuff with McPap for Moms and there's a program in New York. I don't know where it started, but Teach. So there are these other programs that are doing consultative things like this that seem to be a wave of the future because it's necessary. You can't always have an expert, you know, near you or right. you aren't maybe that expert. So, and to that point, I've also been very involved, as are you, in the education piece of PSI. So over the years, I've helped to write curriculum and do a lot of the teaching and training for frontline providers. So people who are not psychiatrists necessarily, but maybe OBGYNs or primary care docs, and also general psychiatrists who are not reproductive specialists mm-hmm. to learn about the kind of medical management, the psychopharmacologic management of the perinatal patient. This is the frontline provider training. Yeah. And I think what's so powerful about that is the way that you guys have set it up is to be available to providers. Yeah. And this is online. They can take yeah. this online yeah. wherever they yep. are. I mean, the yeah. effort that you have put in and the work that you're doing to make these services or consultation accessible to yeah. providers anywhere is just sort of mind-blowing. Well, accessibility is the name of the game, right? Oh, yeah. What good does it do you if we're sitting around here in New York and we know how to do it? <laughs> right. You know, it's like, it's got to be and more for more people and make it affordable and make mm-hmm. it just accessible. It's That's people so that 
you know, whatever, the reproductive years are long Mm -hmm. and laborious, no (laughs) pun intended. And you need many people need medications during those, among other things. And to be informed, to be able to make an informed decision about the potential risk of medication versus not being on a medication, but illness, symptoms. You are comparing symptoms against medication. Not just, you know, a lot of people think I'm either going to be on this med or not be on this med, you know, and they think they're doing themselves a favor or the potential baby a favor because they are going to go off their medications and suck it up. And that's a real misconception out there. Mm. So I like can get on my soapbox about that. It's not comparing, you know, should I or shouldn't I take it? And if I don't take it, then the baby will be fine. That's not the case. We know that untreated illness and the symptoms that go along with that affect not only the mother, but also the fetus in in indirect and direct ways. And there's some amazing research out there that's really showing that some of the potentially deleterious effects of having a mom who's ill and off medication and just, you know, the toxicity of illness, shall we say. Sure. I mean, just that piece of information is gold right there because, I mean, how many providers are taking people off of medication or are saying, no, you can't be on medication because you're pregnant or because you're breastfeeding. I mean, part of what you're doing is getting this message out there that there are options and it's not the old idea of you can't be on anything versus medication. I think what I'll do is in the show notes, I'll be sure to put a link to where people can find out more about the consultation service and also the frontline provider training. And also a plug that for anyone who's listening, if you have a provider, you can give them this information too and let them know that this Mm -hmm. consultation line is out there if they don't feel comfortable with what your needs are. Absolutely. You have to always advocate for yourself. Right. So this is all amazing and national, in some ways, international work. Can you tell us what you're doing in New York with the Motherhood Center? Yeah. So after many years in academics and doing programmatic work and teaching and training, I left to actually, I wrote my first book called The Nine Rooms of Happiness that was published in 2010, which was a really fun exercise in helping women think about when most things in their life are going okay, what makes them unhappy? Mm. And we sort of use the metaphor of a house to think about the different rooms of their psychological self. It was a super fun project. And I'd been writing, speaking of accessibility, even though I was in, you know, the ivory towers of academics, I was writing for Self Magazine for 10 years. And so that's hardly the New England Journal, but it was a way to get the word out. Like Mm -hmm. that's always kind of, I guess, been another, you know, personal mission, just talk about it. And if it's, right. people aren't going to always read journals, but they might pick up in the hair salon or the nail salon, they're going to pick up Self Magazine. And so I had a happiness Q&A column for 10 years. So oh, cool. that was a lot of fun to try and readers questions and think about one's psychological self and mental health. So when I was writing that book, I left at full-time academics, went to private practice and then did writing and then stayed involved in the clinic I'd started at Cornell. And then and I'll tell you about something else too. But the Motherhood Center came about probably in 2014 and 15. I was approached by someone who was solely a business person mm. and found me as a content expert and a somewhat of a expert in the field and said, hey, there's this lack of services. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was from another culture from Australia and, you know, lots of other places do this better than we do in the U.S. Mm-hmm. where they are much more advanced in terms of maternal mental health. And Australia had some really interesting models. And 
anyhow, long story short, the first thing we tried to put together had to do with like a sleep school kind of thing that hmm. they do in Melbourne. It was really interesting, something called Masada that it was fascinating, but it was a little too progressive, I thought, hmm. for the U.S. And in fact, we didn't get a lot of positive feedback about that from the local kind of focus groups we did. And so oh, we moved towards, yeah, it will be around soon, one day, but not yet. Mm-hmm. We're not ready. But what we did need was partial hospital programs, which otherwise yeah. known as day hospital or day programs mm-hmm. for a level of care, this kind of intermediate level of care that just didn't exist in very many places. Right. So talk about a dearth in the treatment model in mm-hmm. the, the U.S. I mean, the first program started at Women and Infants Hospital at Brown University back in 2000. Everyone always knew about it because it was this cool little gem Mm -hmm. in Rhode Island, and they were doing this innovative work for moms and babies with a nursery on site, and they did this intermediate level of care, right? So you didn't need inpatient because you weren't sick enough to be hospitalized, but you couldn't make it an outpatient. Like It was just not enough to go once a week to see your provider. Yeah. So this intermediate level of care was just brilliant. I mean, and there's partial hospital models exist for the general population, but, you know, there aren't a lot of them for moms and babies. And again, they exist in other places in the world, but not in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So Margaret Howard, who's a colleague and good friend, you know, was instrumental in starting the program at Rhode Island Hospital or uh, Women and Infants. I'm probably confusing them all, the hospital system there, but it's great. And it expanded and I think it was 2011. It was 11 years later that the second program came into being. So wow. it's taken a long time. And mm-hmm. currently yeah. there are probably half dozen to a dozen programs around the country that have hospital-based, right? They're within behavioral health or mm-hmm. OBGYN or psychiatry where they have these programs linked, embedded within the hospitals. So specifically for, for perinatal mental health. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, there weren't any kind of freestanding agnostic, as I always say, sort of not affiliated with a hospital kind of place out there. And because my business partner was interested in creating a model that could potentially exist all over the U.S., Mm -hmm. you know, we thought better not to be affiliated with any one place. And I was interested in that idea because, you know, New York City is a very turfed out kind of place. Mm -hmm. If you're from one hospital, you're from that hospital. And you don't, you're not always collaborative with other people from other hospitals. And Uh, it's not that people are bad. It's a system. There's a lot of, you know, dog eat dog world, you know, it's Uh, like, you can make it here. (laughs) That's what they say. Got it. That's what they say. And there's some truth to that. I got to say. So there's a lot of proprietariness about the hospital systems. And I've having grown up in one of them. I was like, you know what? I'm not from this area. I grew up in the Midwest. I like to think of myself as like a collaborator and from a whole different, you know, kind of world. Mm -hmm. And let's do this. I really like the idea of doing it on our own. And again, it worked in terms of the business model for a number of reasons. And so we crafted this to be a freestanding agnostic, not feel like a hospital kind of place. It feels like when you're here, it feels like a living room. People describe it as like, just you walk in and there's a sense of calm that you feel. Oh, that's lovely. In the middle of New York City. (laughs) In the middle of New York City on the 10th floor of some nondescript office building. And you walk in and it's like an oasis. It's like an urban oasis. And it feels great. And we recently just did a PSA. And one of the women who has been treated here, what came back to talk about it, many did. But one said, you know, you walk in, it's like a womb. And you feel like you're being mothered, like the mothering center, we sometimes call it. The experience is really unusual. And I think well moms 
could benefit from it too. But sure. at this point, really, it's for more the moderate to severe illness out there, women who are experiencing moderate to severe pregnancy or postpartum related depression, anxiety, bipolar illness, and other OCD, PTSD. And we see them anywhere from two to six weeks along with their babies if they have them and do an intensive you know, outpatient treatment. It's five to six hours a day, five days a week, mm. five a day. We're doing, you know, different kinds of, you know, CBT, IPT, DBT, a lot of skills learning. Sure. There's sure. process groups, there's art therapy. We do trauma-informed yoga, mindfulness and meditation. There's dietic work. So we have some dietic specialists on staff who do mother-baby work because a huge part of what happens for our population is that they are either overly connected or disconnected from the mm -hmm. baby. Yeah. Some are so anxious, they can't leave the baby in the nursery, mm -hmm. and others, the baby off and never look back till the end of the day. So mm -hmm. we kind of work and titrate that experience for them, but help them integrate the idea that they have a baby and what is that like for them and what does it bring up in terms of their own mothering, how sure. they were mothered, if they have mothers, mm -hmm. and you know what that experience was like. And it's just this you know, I could go on endlessly, but we've created a curriculum yeah. that is, I think, mm, blows my mind. That's amazing. And I want to pick out one particular thing that you said is a nursery. So it sounds like you have yeah. a, a nursery on site. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Amazing. It is. It's so beautiful. And we have a full-time nursery director who is a baby whisperer. She is just mm -hmm. like an uber breast. <laughs> you just want to like <laughs> curl up with her and just be like, take care of me. She's, As an adult. Know, as an adult. That's awesome. So the moms are just drawn to her and she just holds the babies in this way. And, you know, she's a non-clinical person. She came from like the professional babysitting world and she's this, she's a grandmother and she just mm -hmm. has this way about her that makes everyone feel safe and comfortable. Oh and gosh. women who've never left their babies with anyone will bring babies and let Teresa take care of them. And we have a whole host of interns and volunteers who work in the nursery. They take different shifts and Teresa's always there. We have some people who've, you know, been here since we opened for the past week. We're almost two years open now. And mm -hmm. we have people who've been with us the whole time who do shifts in the nursery. That's amazing. And yeah. And the moms take the babies back and forth from group sure. to the nursery and they bring the babies when it's time for dyadic, but they also can leave them there and get a little rest from them so that they can focus on themselves. That's amazing. That's a massive part of care. I mean, I think yeah. when we're typically thinking about getting mental health care, um, mm -hmm. ideally, yeah, it'd be great to have someone watch the baby. But, you know, if that's the space you're in, but geez, I mean, just that makes this yeah. stand out quite a bit. We're very proud of that piece of it. And, you know, the moms have to be on site. It's not officially a daycare. Sure. So, you know, licensing wise, because we have a state license to run this facility. It's very stringent in New York State. Mm, sure. Apparently, we were not so long ago to a meeting in Chicago, and I was talking about this with people in Illinois. There isn't a license required. It's so interesting how states mm, differ. State by state. New York, yeah. yeah, state by state. So, anyhow, that was a tangent, but. No, I mean, yeah, I, I, I really love part. you guys have thought about so many aspects of care and just like the nuance of some moms need and want to keep their babies around all the time. And some moms, yeah. you know, are dropping them off and doing the dyadic work. This is all so yeah. important in getting the part of intensity of services that they need. Mm -hmm. You know, just even me as an outpatient therapist, I wish I could see people more than, right. you know, once a week because, you know, right. oftentimes when the symptoms are that severe, 
It just takes so much longer if, you know, the treatment is spread out. That's what we say often, right? Well, people will say, how can I come five days a week? Like, that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll say to them, you don't have to. I mean, look, it's optional. It's voluntary. We're not forcing anyone to be here. We have to finagle with every insurance company to figure out if we can get it paid for and if there's any patient responsibility, what might that look like? You know, can we make it work? So it's not an easy thing. And we get that. But we're also saying you will be going deep here. Like you'll be going, you know, broad and wide and deep, whatever. You're getting into it intensively and it will expedite things. You know, it really moves quickly in a way that outpatient, you know, I'm also have been an outpatient therapist my whole life. You can do a lot, but you know, if you're doing that five times a day for Mm -hmm. five days a week, you are, and in a group setting where you're, you know, you're coming at it in different modalities. I mean, you also get pulled out for individual therapy and the cycle farm management as well as couples and family, but we're coming at you from every angle and it's, it's an intensive process that moves quickly. Yeah, this is so important. And I love that it's kind of, I think, a good departure from the kind of normal standard of care and, you know, whatever it is that care systems have set up for care doesn't meet the needs for everyone. Because this is Absolutely. such a specific population, you've really thought about what this population needs and are catering right. to that as opposed to some other type of medical model and trying right. to make the patient fit into that. Right. Well, to that point, what has been so great, another great thing about being non-hospital based, like the positive side of it has been the amount of creativity we've been able to use and bring. And like, you know, we can let passion and creativity kind of drive the model and we can pivot easily. We can hone things as we see, you know, a need arises here, or if this isn't working, we change to that. And we have done a lot of changing as we've gone along. I always say to people who work here, this is not for the faint of heart. Like you have to be resilient and willing to, and flexible and willing to change things up. You come in one day and it's different than the next. And if that's not working, we're going to change it again. Mm -hmm. And we are then creating our policies and procedures all within, you know, what the state requires, but there's a lot of flexibility in there. And so the challenge has been all the infrastructure that is, you know, what a hospital is, right? Mm-hmm. I was so glad to get away from the hospital and all that, you know, oh, quality assurance and, you know, all the sort of EMR and all the things you had to learn and do and courses you had to take every year. And uh-huh. now we had to make, we had to like create those. We had to put <laughs> that together. Yeah. And I've never been so respectful of a hospital in my life. Like, Oh, wow. sure. Sure. It's a lot of work. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a lot of work. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. 
My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist, and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness, and I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Yeah, so but I mean, that just speaks how much dedication you have and you and your team have to this. It's not just a project. I mean, this is, you're giving, no. you're giving quality of life to a lot of women who need it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. And again, the people who have stayed, you know, we've had plenty of staff transition over these two years. And I'll tell you, there's a core group and it's growing of those who are committed and dedicated and mm-hmm. they are passionate. Again, that is yeah. key. They're passionate, they're yeah. flexible, they're committed, and they want to work in this space. Otherwise, I don't know why you'd be here. Right. I'm wondering then, you know, and part of me is thinking, well, how can we people, whoever, replicate this yeah. throughout the yeah. world? Yeah. Because it seems pretty necessary. It seems that way, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it's a huge country, a huge world, right. and there's very few resources that sound like this. And it kind of sounds like when you're thinking about this, that something that you wanted to be able to replicate or have other people replicate, I'm not sure, throughout the world. Yeah, that's one of the goals, right? So we have one successful center and we help women transform their lives and get help at a very vulnerable time and don't go bankrupt. It's a success, right? right? It's an absolute success. It will be thrilling. And if this place can sustain itself and we can keep going, again, success. Now, The second part to that is if we can kind of, not that there's perfect the model, but really like we've certainly proven the idea, but can we make a sustainable business model? I mean, that's the stage we're in now in the Mm -hmm. startup phase we're in. And it's like, can we create something that then we could roll out elsewhere? And that's the idea Mm -hmm. if we can do it. But I care most about quality of care and about doing it right. And, you know, so luckily a lot of our investors were friends and family who, who weren't breathing down our necks to, you know, grow, 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 Mm. who were really like, they got that this was a passion project that needed to be done right. And if it was done correctly and could be self-sustaining, then perhaps there was a way to roll it out. And that would be, you know, both they could do well while doing good. I mean, that was, I think, you're going to invest in something like this, a novel concept. You have to, you know, your hope is that it's it's sort of a double bottom line, as people say, which is also really fun and exciting to, I mean, I've gotten into business in a way, I mean, I could barely balance my checkbook (laughs) and now I'm running a company. So I would say I have like an eighth of a business degree now, maybe not even, but (laughs) right. Right. I'm thinking too, at the very least, because this is something that you've been working on, you know, I hear people saying that they would like to start something like this therapist like people who are in this field, I mean, you would be a rich resource as a consultation to, sure. to, I mean, to figure we this got out. Helpless and we stand on the shoulders of others and, you know, reinventing the wheel is always that much harder and not always that necessary. Like, you know, we went to Margaret Howard and to the wonderful people at Women and Infants and worked with them in a formal way to yeah. begin to get this going. And sure. even though I knew how to start programs, you know, I didn't 
think I knew it all and they were invaluable in getting this up and going. And so, yeah, so figuring out how to mentor others in a professional and, you know, in a real way is is also part of this next phase because we do, we get calls every day from around the world. Oh, I'm sure. What do you do this? How do you do this? And it's its own entity to be, you know, kind of fielding those calls. It's interesting. Right. Because ultimately, like you said, this is about helping the moms who need the most help. If there are very few resources that do this, then while like people like me who do outpatient, yes, I'm helping all of us who are in outpatient or whatever form we are helping. Absolutely. That there are many ways to help. And this is really, really great model. There's another way and yeah, it is. And it helps. It's just what it is. There's a lack of it in the field. So not that outpatient therapy isn't important because it's the cornerstone of everything. I mean, I think it's the most important thing, right? But being able to help, I mean, you know, as an outpatient provider, and I can certainly tell you from my days doing it full time, you get patients who really need more. And so you end up on the phone with them over the weekend and Mm -hmm. checking in and bringing Mm -hmm. the families in and worrying about them. And that doesn't feel good to anybody. So right because there's not enough resources to give them what they actually need and yeah exactly exactly well uh, speaking of you know getting help to the people who need it you have a book coming out which is one other way that you are helping people can you tell us about that book yes thank you for asking so along with a co-author who was a mentee of mine for many years and is now a colleague Dr. Alexandra Sachs we have written a book called what no one tells you a guide to your emotions during pregnancy and motherhood. Mm. And the reason, it's sort of the way we're describing it is, it's the emotional what to expect when you're expecting. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, so it's, again. Please, get that book out. It's coming out April 23rd. So it's kind of like everything I've always said in my office ever since I first started doing this work. So it's the wide range of normal. It's everything between bliss and the blues, right? So Mm -hmm. even though my work as a psychiatrist has really been around the illness and pathology and coming from a disease model per se, that's medicine. Mm -hmm. And so that's the like real illnesses that require medication and sometimes hospitalization and et cetera. And then there's the like on the other extreme. And that, let's say that end is probably, let's say 20%, 10 to 20%. Mm-hmm. And then on the other end is bliss, right? Mm-hmm. Those people who are like, oh, I love being pregnant and mm-hmm. motherhood was the best and most natural, easiest thing I ever did. That's like five people in my entire career. <laughs> <laughs> right. so like, you've actually yeah. met a real live one of those? I call them unicorns. I'm telling you, <laughs> five, like maybe five in 20 that's to awesome. 25 years. Good. Kind of ridiculous, right? <laughs> so, but don't worry, that's the word on the street that it's all bliss and it's mm-hmm. easy and natural. Mm-hmm. And then everything in between is like, really what is quote normal. And sometimes it is more than that. There is some illness involved. And, you know, we do a lot of trying to describe when you need to seek help, but we go through the book really goes through the minute you find out you're pregnant all the way through the first year of motherhood. Mm -hmm. And it describes the many psychological challenges at each stage of the game. Oh my gosh. And we really like mind our collective experiences and we focus groups and talk to lots of people about this and put those stories in, but also kind of what were the universals for women struggling. And these are healthy, normal, regular, old, just, you know, want to have a kid and here we go. And what's it like? And it's hard. It's hard. And it is a challenge to figure out how to talk to your partner, how to 
deal with your parents who comes to the delivery room. Do you want to right. do it on your own? Are you a new family now or not? Right. You know, we go into detail about all those questions that really are huge topics in psychotherapy. Yeah. And so in a way, we hope that this will reach, you know, it'll be just a fixture in every OBGYN's office or, or nurse midwife's office or, you know, doulas that it'll just be like, okay, you're not alone. This mm-hmm. is normal. Oh, right. I hate the word normal, but it's like <laughs> everyone's going through this. They may just not be talking about it and they're not posting it on Instagram, but it's right. actually happening. And right. here's the book that will really show you all those emotional ups and downs and how everyone is ambivalent in different ways and how everyone struggles. And it's not your fault and it, there's, it's not a deficit of yours. It is the normal vicissitudes of probably the most profound transition in anyone's life. Yeah. Becoming a parent, becoming a mother, we speak to specifically. And there's a word called matrescence, which we really like. You know, matrescence, sort of like adolescence, becoming an adolescent and entering that stage of life. And matrescence is that becoming a mother. Mm. And it is not just something that happens when the baby pops out in the delivery room as if. Right. right. But it is the process and that and it is really like a developmental stage that don't worry, it's been overlooked. Why? Because, well, I'm sorry to say this, but, you know, men don't have babies. So this doesn't need to be a developmental stage. OK, enough. I won't get on that no. soapbox. Nope. But, you know, so we're really trying to highlight this normal and challenging phase of life that it is, you know, a process and somewhat of a developmental stage that comes with many ups and downs, you know, and the more you can attend to your feelings and talk about what they really are, not just pretend it's all okay, Mm -hmm. the better off you and the child and your family and your spouse, the better off everybody is. That is a hundred percent true. I wish I had this book when I had mine and I might just give it out to every single person who's having a kid. So I'll be buying your book. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. This is necessary. We're pretty yeah. yeah. I mean, I love it. Again, this is you finding the gap and filling it. Um, right. It doesn't exist. This book right. doesn't exist. Right. And that's how we sold it to Simon and Schuster. And we found a champion within them. They weren't so sure these kinds of books, do they sell? And we're like, this doesn't exist. And we proved <laughs> right. it and we begged and we pushed and yeah. they bought it. And we are Thank so you. excited to get it out in the world, to birth it into the world. Oh, that's beautiful. All of your work is just just amazing. And I can hear all the passion in your voice and I can see it when I'm around you. It's so great. I appreciate you for coming on and to tell us about this because I do think that your model of care at the Motherhood Center is really important for people to know that exists and that on some level it can and should be replicated and also for moms to be seeking this out because a lot of people don't even know that this exists to to look for. And the more that we know what we need, the more we can ask for that. So hearing what you provide is, I think, another way for people out there who are having kids to know that they can be asking for this level of care. So great. And then I will absolutely include all the links to the things you talked about, including your book that's coming out. So people can pre-order that. It'll all be in the show notes. Yeah. Excellent. Um, I love to talk about this stuff. I know, right? It's like, and I love that you highlight it and do it. Yeah. Uh, Your podcast is amazing. Oh, thank you. Just like you, I love getting information out there. It's sort of my jam. Clearly, it certainly is. (laughs) And it's necessary. And I love it. Thank you. Well, thanks for being on with us. My pleasure. 
Thank you once again, Dr. Berndorf, for coming on. I'm going to have links to all of the things that she mentioned with us in the show notes for this episode. But I want to highlight a couple of things. You can go to themotherhoodcenter.com to find out all of the information about what they offer. And if you want to pre-order that book that's coming out, you can go to amazon.com and do that right now. I would love to hear from you. Any questions that you have, comments you have, ideas you have that you'd like to share with me or you'd like to share questions to have answered on air, please do reach out to me, momandmind at gmail.com. For those of you who are new listeners, please pop over to momandmind.com, find links to all of our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and also all the places you can listen to the Mom and Mind podcast. Mom and Mind is also part of the Parents on Demand network where you can find loads of early parenting podcasts. So glad you were with us today. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.